This evening, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. We're going to read, pray, and then what are we going to do, Calvary Youth? Dive on into it. We're going to read, pray, and then dive on into it. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. Title of this evening's message is Holding on to Hope. Look to the person next to you and tell them, hold on to hope. All right, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. This is God's word. And it says, are you there? Almost? It's a hard book to find sometimes, huh? It's in the back, okay? Go all the way back. I think, let me see. I'm going to embarrass myself. It's um, before the book of James, and it's after, someone help me out. Philemon, which is only like one page in your Bible, so have fun. It's in the back. You'll, you'll get to it. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. I'm going to read two verses together, pray, and dive on into it. This is God's word, and it says, We have this. We have this. We have this. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Verse 20, Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. This is God's word. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our high priest. That right now, at this moment, you are seated in the throne room in heaven, interceding and advocating for us. Lord, we thank you that you are our high priest, who is also the sacrifice for our sins. You didn't make a sacrifice, you are the sacrifice that has purchased us access to you. And so, Lord, we come boldly to your throne of grace this evening. Because we need your mercy and grace in our time of need. We ask, Lord, that you would speak, that you would have your way. And in Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Well, we're kicking off a three-week series on the subject of hope. On the subject of hope. And tonight, our first uh, look into the subject of hope... Our scripture tells us that hope is referred to as an anchor for the soul. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. But before we really dive into it, I've got a question for you. How would you define, how would you describe a person of hope? What's the first thought that comes into your mind? Peace? Happiness? Joy? Faithful, maybe optimistic, someone that always sees the glass that's always half full and not half empty. At least that's kind of been my experience when we talk about the subject of hope. When we try to think about a person of hope, we generally think of someone that's very excited and optimistic and full of joy and kind of bubbly and like, let's go for it. Anybody else or is that just me? Yeah? Okay. So that's kind of what I think of the person of hope. Usually, we think of sometimes the person of hope even as someone who has wishful thinking. 
Maybe some of you, you, you kind of look at the person of hope and, and in one mind, in one sense, you're kind of like, oh, one day they'll find out. One day they'll find out how hard life really is. One day they'll become a realist like me and not an optimist. At least that's some of the people I've, I've come across before. They kind of look, look at a person of hope and they're like, oh, that's cute and all. But wait till they grow up a little bit. Wait till life hits them in the face. Now, if that's your idea of hope, even maybe a little bit of your idea of hope this evening, we're going to kind of break that down and look at the biblical idea of hope. Because the Bible's idea of hope isn't someone that's always just optimistic and happy and joyful all the time. Not necessarily. The Bible gives a much deeper idea of hope. And really, this is our big idea tonight. It's going to be on the screen. Our big idea is that hope is not the absence of disappointment, but that biblical hope happens in the presence of disappointment. Because oftentimes when I think of hopeful people or we're talking about hopeful people, usually we would look at the disappointed or the discouraged or the even despondent person and say, oh, they can't be a person of hope. But when we look at the Bible and we look at the Bible characters and the portrait of hope throughout Scripture, we see that a lot of the people that actually begin to hope are people that come from a disappointed, discouraged, despondent, and overwhelmed place. This is the thing. According to the Bible, hope is an adjective. The biblical idea of hope is more like a verb. There's an action that is happening. You are placing your hope in something or somebody. That is the idea of hope that we're going to talk about tonight. To frame our time tonight, we're going to consider these three things. Number one, we're going to consider a portrait of hope. Number two, the problem of hope. And number three, the power of hope. Does that sound good? If you're ready, sound ready. Okay, number one, a portrait of hope. You could say that the entire Bible is actually a Bible, a book of hope. From cover to cover, there's this theme of hope that you cannot get away. If you're reading the Bible, you just start in the book of Genesis and you read to Exodus. The, the Bible is written in such a way that it, it, it has the reader continue on reading. So hope appears really on the first pages of the Bible in the, form, in the form of a promise, which oftentimes hope is given in the form of a promise. The first promise really given in Scripture comes in a disappointing, discouraged, despondent, bummer of a moment. It's called the fall in Genesis chapter 3. It was one of the most horrific moments in all of human history besides Jesus' crucifixion on the cross. There, at the moment of the fall, when all sin had entered into the picture, there is this glimpse of hope. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. You probably know it. It's known as the Proto-Evangelion. The first time the good news is proclaimed, where God is laying out the curses there in the Garden of Eden. But then he says that from the seed of a woman would become a serpent crusher that would crush the head of the serpent. And from that moment on, you want to keep on reading the Bible. From that moment on, you're like, hold on. In the moment of disappointment and discouragement and despondency, there's this promise given to keep on going. Now pause there and enter into the storyline of the Bible for just a moment. Have you found yourself discouraged, despondent, overwhelmed, or depressed maybe in the last month? I have. Our life has been crazy the last month. 
discouragement, despondency, difficulties. They're unavoidable. In fact, the Bible says that they're promised to everyone. We're going to face discouragement. We're going to face difficult times. And there at the first moment where pain and difficulty and disappointment enters into the picture, right then, God whispers hope. Now, many scholars think that the next son that Eve has, they're thinking he's going to, the first son, that he's going to be it. That Abel is going to be the serpent crusher. And then Cain kills Abel. And then they have Seth later on. And they're like, oh, that's going to be the guy that God promised. And all of the Old Testament is waiting for this snake crushing figure that's promised in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. But if you know the Bible, pain keeps on going as well. And so they think it's going to be Seth, but then in the time of Seth, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of difficulty, there's a lot of problems. In fact, the world gets so insanely wild that God has to press a reset button and sends a flood. But then, at the end of the flood, he kind of gives this promise of hope to Noah. And he tells Noah, go and fill the land and multiply and scatter abroad. And, and there's, they're looking and, and, and longing. Noah's longing for this idea, this grand idea that God is speaking, that it's going to come. And it goes from Noah to Abraham. God gives a promise to Abraham. And it's a promise of a nation and a people and a land. A kingdom, this promise would go on to David and it would go to a kingdom and to a king that's going to bless all of the nations. But it's not really happening in the story of the line, storyline of the Bible. There's little glimpses of it, but man's failure keeps happening. Every single time after failure and disappointment and discouragement and despondency and apathy and difficulty enter into the picture. Do you know what happens? God gives a promise of hope. There's going to be a nation. There's going to be a kingdom. There's going to be a land. There's going to be a people. And the promise keeps on going all throughout the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a book of hope. It points you forward as you read it. Now again, pause there and enter into the storyline of the Bible for a moment. I've been having a lot of conversations with many different people, but a lot of young people in particularly, they are having difficulty with finding a reason to wake up in the morning. Quite literally. And I think most people, how many of you have had that idea and thought before? It's like, what is going on in my life? Why am I here? What's today going to promise? In fact, as you enter into the storyline of the Bible and you see this, this idea and this theology of hope that's happening all throughout the pages of Scripture, and you contrast to today's society, the cultural narrative of today's society is not that you should hope. The cultural narrative of today's society is either that the end is near, and not in a good way, it's like total doomsday, just like it's not hopeful, it's like, ah, the end type stuff. Or... That there's no reason that you're here. There's no reason you exist. There's no reason for anything. There's no reason to hope. You just got to live your life. YOLO. Do your own thing and figure it out. And you know, the best moment to live in is now. And, and you got to make the most of it. There's no theology of hope for today. There's no idea. There's no narrative of hope today. That there's something that is going to happen in the future that's better. But that's the entire movement of the story of Scripture. 
that today is not going to be your best day. That literally the storyline of the Bible is pushing you to a better time to come. That quite literally the best is yet to come. And so this is what the entirety of the Old Testament scriptures do. And then the book of Matthew comes. And really this is where we're going to look at the portrait of hope. Because everything we've talked about right now is cute butterfly theology stuff. But what does that look like practically and personally for me and you? Well, that's where I want to draw your attention to Joseph. It's Christmas time, right? Let's look at Matthew chapter 1 together. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. But all of the Old Testament is this book of hope. It's looking forward. It's looking forward to this serpent-crushing figure, the Messiah from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And then the, the gospel of Matthew comes. Jesus is born. There's this long genealogy that it starts with. Genealogy of a king. And it links this Jesus figure to David. David, the one who is given the promises of a kingdom and a king, when, when all the nations are going to be blessed, when it's going to be amazing, when it's going to be beautiful, an eternal kingdom. And then this comes up in Matthew chapter 1. There's this long genealogy. But then an angel speaks. And this is what it looks like personally for you and for me to be a person of hope. Notice the angel speaks to Joseph. And Joseph is in a moment of disappointment, discouragement, and despondency. He's engaged to a cute little girl from Nazareth named Mary, who is probably between the ages of 14 and 16. I mean, she's still a young girl. And Joseph finds out that she's pregnant. And he's about to break off the proposal. They are not going to get married. This is where he's at. He's bummed out. He thought that she's cheated on him. Then an angel appears. There's a promise of hope in the midst of discouragement. The angel says this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That's when Joseph just jaw drops. He's like, what? She will give birth to a son. You are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. How many fathers are in the house right now? Okay, imagine your first baby. You're 17, 18 years old. You think that your girlfriend, fiance, has just pulled a trick on you. And an angel appears and says, no, that baby, you're going to be the father. You're going to name him Jesus. And he's going to be the one. From Genesis 3, verse 15, that's going to save your people from their sins. How are you going to feel as a father, 17, 18 years old? A little pressure or a lot of pressure? A little pressure or a lot of pressure? A lot of pressure. I mean, this is overwhelming. But a little bit of relief at the same time. He doesn't have to break up with Mary. Okay, we keep on reading. It says... See, the virgin will become pregnant. Now, this all took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. They will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her. He did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Beautiful, right? So the moment of disappointment, discouragement, despondency, difficulty... What does God do? 
God sends a messenger who speaks what? Speaks hope. I mean, you could, you could pause on a point of application right there. Whatever discouragement, despondency, difficulty you find yourself in, there's a promise in God's word for you. There's another application there for you, for me, to be the messenger of hope as people are going through discouragement, despondency, or difficulty. Okay? But we keep on reading because what happens? Joseph, he gets this message. He gets this promise. Jesus is born. He names him Jesus, and things just get weirder, okay? All of a sudden, three wise men from the east show up a couple years later, and they give him tons of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I mean, imagine you're 22 years old, and a couple kings come, give you a bunch of gold. It's a character test right there. You're like, whoa, this is Joseph. I mean, things are getting odd, but things are looking kind of good at the same time. Like, all right. I see what's going on now. Joseph is clinging on to these promises. Things are being confirmed from the wise men. But then this happens in Matthew chapter 2. It's going to be up on the screen or you can follow along in your Bible because this is what's been ministering to me throughout this last couple weeks. Verse 13 says, After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up! Take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. Now, imagine yourself being Joseph. Got a promise from an angel, wise men coming up, he's got the gold, things are looking great. Then that angel comes back, he's like, sweet, what promise do I have now? No, they're out to kill your son. You got to go, now. Egypt, foreign land, foreign place, you don't know anybody, go now. Take your wife, you need to go. How long? He doesn't know. The whole out of Egypt, for I called my son, he didn't, Matthew put that in. To the account, okay? We don't know if the angel said that to him. I'm sure that Matthew had no idea in that moment. Imagine being Matthew. Discouraged, disappointed, confused, overwhelmed. He's got to leave every, I mean, he's like 22, 23, if that by this age. I mean, imagine what is going on. He's got to go down to Egypt. You know what? The Egyptians did to his people what he grew up hearing the stories over and over and over again of what happens in Egypt. I mean, this would have been a difficult moment. And we don't know what was going on in Joseph's mind, so I'm not going to speculate. But I know this, that the moment that Joseph is having here in Matthew chapter 2, if you live long enough on this planet you will find yourself in a moment just like that. Where you are completely overwhelmed, confused. What in the world is going on? Discouraged, torn down, disappointed. Yet here's where Joseph is. And my, okay, here is my speculation. I'm going to be speculative for a moment. The angel had spoken once before and given him a promise. See, this is what makes us different, 
church, as a believer of Jesus Christ, we have promises in God's word that when moments like that, that come and they will come, we have something to hold on to. Holding on to hope. That's the title of the message. And quite literally, as as Moses, or sorry, as Moses, as Joseph walks to Egypt, he is holding on to hope. Because hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. And that's who has promised was going to be the one who's going to save his people from their sin. He's holding on to hope. So this is the portrait of hope that we see throughout Scripture. It's all throughout Scripture. There's this theology of hope, but it comes personal to you and me because there's promises of God that are given to us that can help us in moments of discouragement, despondency, and difficulty. Hope is not the absence of disappointment. Hope happens in the presence of disappointment. That's when we hold on to hope. But what's the problem of hope? The problem of hope is this, is that we don't like to hold on to hope. The problem of hope is that hope is future-oriented. John Piper defines hope as faith in the future tense. Hope is future-oriented. And we want to be a people of hope. We try to be a people of hope, but usually we're not that hopeful. We're a lot more anxious. We're living in a moment right now when we look into the future, it causes a lot of us anxiety, not hope. All of the problems, not the promises, come to surface. I don't need to tell you that right now, every research from Barna to Pew Research to non-Christian funded research programs are saying that we are living in the most anxious moment in modern history. People riddled with anxiety. I've been riddled with anxiety the last month. What is the future going to look like? Our problems can seem so big. See, the problem of hope is that it's future-oriented. And the problem with the future is we cannot see it. This is what Romans chapter 8, verse 24 says, though. It says, now in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. See, the problem with hope is we can't see it. We can't see what the future holds. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know when, we, when, when the diagnosis comes in. We don't know if there's going to be healing in that moment. We don't know when, when the job goes away. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know when, when the marriage is on the rocks or your kids are starting to explore things they shouldn't. We don't know what the future holds. And so we get anxious. And we get overwhelmed. And it's really, really difficult to find hope sometimes because we can't see it. So we try to, and we pull out our promises, prayer Bible thing, and we try to find one, and we try to fit it in, and we want to hope, and we want to hold on to it, but it can be really, really difficult. Anxiety can creep on in. And it begin to overwhelm us. So what do we do? What do we do in moments like that? What do we do in the Joseph moment where everything looks good? He's got the promise. He's got the gold. And all of a sudden, he's got to pack up and go because they're going to try and kill your son. I mean, what do you do in those moments when life just knocks you down like that? Sometimes it seems like that cute promise from the book of Psalms just isn't doing it for me right now. Well, that's where the power of hope comes in. 
The power of hope is really what we see in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 to 20. The power of hope is this, verse 19, let's read it again. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Okay, hope. The power of hope. How does this work in moment, these Joseph-type moments where life hits us in the face? The power of hope is found here in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. The power of hope is that your hope is only as good as the object of your hope. Hope isn't the wishful, joyful, cute little sayings or the cute little stuff or the, the emotion. Hope is not an emotion. Our hope is only as good as the object of our hope. The object of our hope is Jesus. Hope is always future-oriented. And what does Hebrews chapter 6 tell us? Hebrews chapter 6 tells us the one who holds our future. Hebrews chapter 6 tells us that our hope, the hope that we have, is an anchor for our soul. Now let me paint a picture real quick what's happening in Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, the whole context and the people that the author of Hebrews is speaking to, they're in a Joseph moment. They're in a moment where life is hitting them upside the head. They're super confused and they're really disoriented, particularly about the whole Jesus thing. The, the, the book of Hebrews is written to a bunch of Jewish people that were really good Jewish people that really kept the law, that were trying to do it great. And then this whole message of grace comes in and it puts them in a tailspin. And they're confused and they're disoriented and they're discouraged. And they kind of want to go back to it. They don't know what to do. And there's a bunch of interesting things that happen above in Hebrews chapter 6. The context though, it's discouragement. And so what the author is doing is he's giving them, he's reminding them of a promise. Now, most Bible commentators will say that the hope that they're talking to isn't actually referring to Jesus in Hebrews chapter 6. It's referring to the promises given by God and by and through and in Jesus. But it's Jesus who's the one who holds them up there in the heavens. You know, we celebrate the cross a lot. We celebrate the resurrection a lot. We celebrate Pentecost a lot, okay, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. One thing that we don't talk to as often about, though, is the ascension and why it was so important. The ascension of Jesus, okay, remember he died, he was buried, he rose again, and he walked around. Over 500 witnesses saw him, but then, 40 days later, he ascended up into heavens, Acts chapter 1. And he had to ascend for the Spirit of God to descend. We love that. We talk about that. We celebrate that. But the other reason that it is so beautiful that he ascended is that he quite literally went into the future. The future that we get scared about and confused about and anxious about and overwhelmed about, he passed through the heavens into the inner sanctuary outside of time itself into the throne room, and he took a seat there in future. No more work needs to be done. And do you know the role of Jesus right this moment? Is he is there in heaven 
interceding for you, which is just a fancy way for saying he's praying for you. And you know, like when people say, hey, I'm praying for you, but you don't really know if they're praying for you. It's like the cute Christian thing to say. That's that's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is quite literally interceding for you in the heavenlies. And he's our advocate, which means every charge that comes against us, he is advocating on our behalf. They're forgiven. They're wiped in the blood of Jesus. They are declared righteous. They are justified. They are forgiven. Their future is firm and secure. See, all of the Bible is pointing us forward to the moment where we are going to join Jesus in eternity. In which, actually, that anchor, he's going to pull down and heaven's going to crash into earth one day. It's going to be new heavens and new earth. And it is literally, quite literally, the best is yet to come. This is the theme of the entirety of the Bible. So let's wrap it up. What does it mean for you right now? It means this. Are you discouraged? Are you despondent? Are you overwhelmed? Are you confused? I have been. What do we do in those moments? Hey, the cute promises from Scripture are great. They're helpful. But we can invite Jesus into those disappointed and difficult and discouraging moments. And he doesn't just do an override instantaneously. Like, oh, stop crying. Be happy. Like, It's not that. It's when we invite Jesus into those moments, he transforms them. That is his redeeming nature. And he brings beauty out of it. And he brings good out of it because that is who he is. And then he quite literally carries us into our future, which is firm and secure because he has our future. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? So if you're discouraged, if you're despondent, if you're overwhelmed, here's a practical thing to do. If you open up the book of Psalms, quite literally almost half of them are lament, grief, overwhelmed. And it is honest. And it's kind of ugly. But then the other half of them are praise. And something beautiful happens in the book of Psalms. There's a lot of ugly, honest lament, some weird stuff. Even. But at the end of the book of Psalms, it all ends with praise and praise and praise and praise and hallelujah and praise be to the Lord. Why? Because that is always the end of our story. Amen? Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you hold and that you have our future. We thank you that you are a firm and secure object of our hope. We thank you that you have passed through the heavens, quite literally into our future. We thank you that you have our future. And God, I pray that you would bring peace and joy and comfort to any person in this room that is going through a Joseph moment Or one like it, a moment of discouragement and disappointment and difficulty. Would they be reminded and comforted by the reality that you are praying for them? 
that you are their advocate and that you have them. We can hold on tight to you, Jesus, because you're holding on tight to us. We thank you for that reality. So would you comfort our people, your people tonight? In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.